this podcast, I'm going to talk about experimental method as it applies to psychology. Now, you know by now that most of these podcasts are directed at first or second year college students taking taking uh, introductory level college courses in psychology. Okay? So if you're a graduate student or doctoral student listening to my podcasts, I would have to kick you out of the room because I might be boring you to death. All right. So let's talk about experiments. Um, we've talked about several descriptive methods, including correlations and case studies and so forth. So now we're going to go to the most preferred, most powerful research method that a psychologist can use. Why? Because if we use what's called a controlled experiment, then the researcher can actually conclude and make a very powerful statement by saying that this variable or this factor directly caused this outcome or result to happen or directly caused a change in something. All right, so let's go back to this example that I used in the correlational research explained podcast. And the research question example that we use was whether or not my audio podcasts will result in better grades for the students. Okay, so again, let's go ahead and use the same group, not the same exact group, but 100 students taking the same introductory to psychology class, but instead of just collecting their grades and doing surveys or collecting information about how many podcasts they listen to, we're going to run an experiment. And so I have much more control over the student's experience. Okay? So when you read about any given study out there about any given subject, let's say in medicine or health, for example, and you see words used like control, or experimental group, or random assignment, that gives you a strong clue or a set of clues that an experimental study was done. So let's start at the top. For me to run this study, this is what I would do. I would have my 100 students, okay? And on paper, I would have the roster, and for each person, I would flip a coin. If they land heads, I would put them in one group. Let's call that the experimental group oftentimes called the treatment group if we're doing, say, a medical-type study or something that involved a treatment of any kind. If I flip a coin and it lands tails for someone, I'm going to put this person, assign them in the control group. So imagine a roster with names and a letter E or C next to them, experimental group or a control group, right? Now, you can also think about the C as meaning comparison, I'm really interested in the experimental group or the treatment I'm testing, right? That's the group I'm interested in. But how do I know if something worked if I don't compare it to something? So in every experiment, you're going to have multiple groups. And the most basic form is two, experimental and control. Now let's go back to our variables. We have the audio podcasts and we have grades, okay? So the ultimate test or question I have here is, Will listening to audio podcasts throughout the course lead to better test results and a better overall final grade? Final grade. So the operational definition, and you know what that means by now, for podcasts is going to be uh, 
whether or not they listen to it, okay? And uh, let me back up for a second. So this is how we're going to do the experiment. We've already flipped the coin for each person. So the experimental group in our example, uh, these are going to be the 50 students who will be forced or will be assigned into an online class that has audio podcasts, okay? Now, it's possible for me to design a course where to get through the assignments, they have to click play, right, to force them to listen to all of them, right? Um, so let's assume that we can do that, okay? That to get through the course, they can't skip the podcast, they're pretty much forced to listen to them as part of the course. The control group students will be in an online course that's exactly the same as the experimental group, but you take away the podcasts. Okay, it's just the exact same. So there's only one thing different about the experimental group's experience in the class versus the control group. Okay. Now this is very important because if we control for everything and we know that these two groups of students experience is completely the same except for one thing, right? And then what if those 50 students in the podcast group got significantly higher scores at the end of the course than the control group, then I can confidently say that the podcast has something directly to do with that. It's not an accident, especially if the difference is pretty big. Okay? All right. So let's start from the beginning. The flipping of the coin, that process is called random assignment. I start with my pool of subjects or volunteers. Let's call them volunteers. The act of splitting them into two different groups is called random assignment. Random meaning that each person has an equal likelihood of being in either group. Okay? I cannot assign them just based on, let's say, a group of people sitting in the front, group of people sitting in the back of the classroom. Okay? I'm not going to do it al alphabetically, right? A through G is in one group, right? If you think about it, why is that? It's no longer random, right? What if just by coincidence, let's say in a classroom, those sitting in the front tend to have higher GPAs to begin with, right? They're more attentive. They choose to sit in the front compared to those who sit in the back. I'm just making that up. But what if that were true? Then wouldn't my study be ruined from the onset, right? And what if just by chance, alphabetically, those who have names that uh, begin with A through G also coincidentally... Um, had higher incomes or had, a, on average, more parents with higher education than the other group, right? Then I run the whole experiment and found out that, hey, that group with the, uh, that first group really did score higher. It must be the podcast. No, it was probably the fact that they had parents who had higher education or that they already had better grades to begin with, okay? Well, how do we get rid of that? Well, Amazingly enough, the flip of a coin solves all of that, almost all of that. Because what happens is when you have 100 people, and within those 100 people, you do have people who uh, have better study habits. You have people who uh, are more motivated than others, who have better academic history than others, right? And yet, I'm trying to run an experiment to, to create two equal groups. The coin toss will almost guarantee that I will create two equal groups, right? So if I had 10 people who are geniuses, right? Well, and, and I don't really know, you know, for sure, but let's say they were, they're in there somewhere. 
then by flipping a coin, it's not going to be exact. I'm not going to get five on one side, five on the other side. But it might be six and four, seven and three. It won't be ten and zero, right? Well, it's possible, but let's say that, you know, the larger the number of people, then they're more likely to even out. So we're evening out all these possible third variables that could explain my results. I want to make sure that the results are defined by whether or not they use the podcast or not, not because whether or not they were geniuses, had more money, had more academic experience, all these other factors. So the coin toss creates two equal, relatively equal groups, balanced groups to begin with. Okay? Then I put them through the course. The only difference in their experience is podcast or no podcast, and then I compare their overall grades. Right? So you see how this has much more intervention on the researcher side compared to a correlation or a survey, which is very passive and just measuring what people are already doing. I'm forcing people to do certain things. I'm taking away podcasts from one group, giving podcasts to another group. Like in a drug study, I'm giving one group a treatment, the other group a fake pill. Okay? And so there's a lot of intervention by the experimenter. So the researcher, that, that's how that's the main clue. You know, that tells you whether or not a piece of research is an experiment. Now there are a couple of key terms here that I'd like you to understand that's part of the experiment and that causes a lot of grief, I think, for many students. And it's these two things, the independent variable and the dependent variable. Yeah, I know, your brain is starting to shut down. Okay, here's how we make sense of these things. And try not to just memorize, okay? Maybe just draw a simple diagram. Okay, use the abbreviation IV for independent variable. Then draw an arrow to the right. Then write down DV, dependent variable, okay? The independent variable, we have two variables here, remember? is going to be the treatment. It's going to be the thing that you want to test. So in a drug trial, it's the actual drug. In my case, it's podcast. Listening to a podcast is like a treatment. I want to test it. Okay? So the independent variable that I am manipulating, you'll see that word a lot too in textbooks, manipulate the independent variable. All that means is I'm going to give one group this and I'm not going to give it to the other group. That's called manipulation. Very simple. Right? So the independent variable, podcast, okay, draw the arrow, is, well, the question is, does it cause a change in, and that's what the arrow means, causes, does it cause, with a question mark, the dependent variable, which is grades, right? Does it have a direct effect on that? Independent variable causes a change, question mark, in the dependent variable. Does a drug cure this disease? Does this supplement improve your blood pressure, right? So any drug study, the drug is the independent variable, okay? Again, don't just memorize that, but just visualize that diagram. IV, does it cause a change in the DV, okay? And that'll make sense of it. So if I were to describe to you that someone wants to do research about this and that, and they're going to do an experiment, what's the independent variable and dependent variable, right? Just draw it out. And it would make sense. Okay, it doesn't make sense to reverse it, right? Yeah, grades. 
causes a direct change in podcast listening. Eh, how would you even set that up? Okay, so we're not collecting data of what students do naturally, right? We're actually manipulating them, okay? And they know what's going on, right? So we're not doing this blindly. So let's conclude. Why can we call claim causation at the end of the study? So just to recap, it's because of experimental control. I have controlled using the flip of a coin or random assignment by creating two courses that are identical except for one factor. And then I have much higher scores in that experimental group than in the control group. The only valid conclusion would be that listening to pod podcasts had a direct effect. And if the numbers, the, the grades are so much more higher statistically that they are significant, then I'm confident that this is not a coincidence. It's not just by random chance that these 50 people over here who had a podcast in their course did better than those other 50 people who took the same course but did not have audio podcasts. Now, of course, the results can go either way, right? I mean, maybe both groups had the same average test score, then I can conclude that, well, I guess podcast or no podcast, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's more about reading the book or whatever, okay? But the independent variable did not have a direct causal effect on the dependent variable. Okay, so just to summarize, with all of these research methods discussed in an intro to psych class, the language you use is very important. Don't throw words around like cause, like experiment, unless you really are talking about experiment. Be precise in your language, okay? I hope that in your everyday life, you're gonna when you encounter research that matters to you, whether it's about medicine, whether it's about treatments, lifestyle changes, that when you look at empirical research or articles describing empirical research, that now you're better prepared, equipped to understand it better. You would want to know that if vitamin D and E decreases your risk of Alzheimer's, right? What methodology, what method was used there? And that could directly affect what action you take about your health, right? Or whether or not to recommend it to your grandparents to prevent Alzheimer's disease, okay? Or think of any example out there, okay? So... Next time, I hope, now that you have a basic, again, this is very basic in terms of the study of research methods, it could get very complicated from here if you continue on in this road, and, and hopefully you'll like it, that you're much more intelligent and well-informed and won't be as easily fooled by claims. You will want empirical data instead of just anecdotes and personal experiences about whether something works or not, okay? Now, one more point I wanna make at, at the end here is why don't we just do experiments for everything? If we can make this causal claim and it's most powerful, well, because of ethics, right? Um, we can't get 100 healthy people, split them into two groups by a toss of a coin and tell one group to smoke and the other group to not smoke, right? 
or have them vape like no with no chemicals in it <laughs> right that's not ethical to do and and then to follow them for years to see which group develops more lung diseases right so when it's not ethical or not practical to run an experiment because you notice with an experiment you need live people live participants right Whereas with correlational studies, you can use online data, data that's on records, in, in, on paper, right? Um, a little bit easier to do, telephone surveys, uh, online surveys. Well, that requires live people, but you don't have to control them in any sense, okay? Uh, you can just observe them and collect information that way. So experiments uh, take a lot of planning and, and approvals. Uh, by departments and a lot of red tape. So not everyone can run experiments. Um, so that's why sometimes they're not very practical to do. And that's why people resort to correlational data to get their information. Okay, so it's ethics, feasibility, practicality. And that's why we end up using descriptive methods a lot instead of experiments. But ideally, if you want the most powerful results, you would run an experiment. Okay, I think I've uh, talked your ears off enough for this podcast. Again, this is Dr. C. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you later. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field uh, go to apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review okay and you can also contact me directly using the links in the description whether it's twitter or email with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better and uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about i can add them and if you want to support me by buying me a coffee the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.